Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford Bloor from Football 365, Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and making his debut, the broadcaster, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. Let's speak of the issue in plain terms. Football is shaped by privilege and too tolerant of racism. Change is long overdue. A more diverse and representative game must emerge from a debate driven by a new generation of players and facilitated by enlightened managers like Gareth Southgate. We've gone beyond platitudes. Now, Jordan, I'm aware this is a huge question. But in practical terms, when you look at football, do you actually see a game willing to change? In a word, Mike, no, I don't. I think we have a sporting industry that pretends it wants to change. I think we have governance within within our game, people that say all the right things, that you know put out all the right messages. But when it comes to actually backing up their chat, it falls flat every single time. Racism has been a, a problem in football for, for as long as football's been going. It mirrors society in, in, in that sense. But I think we're now at a point where I was hoping football could take the lead in fighting racism and let the wider society see what football's doing. But I think what we're seeing in the wider world is that it's more likely to be the other way around. I think football eventually might be forced into getting its house in order off the back of what we're seeing in in the wider world. So no, I, I don't think football has the will. I think football has to protect itself as long as possible. But the irony is, is that it's supposed to be protecting the people that work within it and it's just not doing that. Yeah, I suppose, Seb, if you, if you look at it, when you've got someone with the platform of Gareth Southgate as England manager, now... His influence is probably at its height at the moment, isn't it? You know, he's developing a young team, you know, has the reputation quite rightly as a really empathetic manager. He's thoughtful, he's self-critical, and he's probably unafraid of offering his players the freedom to find and use their voice. 
when someone like Gareth Southgate intervenes in this this type of debate, which I think we all agree is fundamental, how big a moment is that? You know, I noticed Darren Lewis has been on the show quite a lot that, you know, Darren's written a column today saying it could be a watershed moment. Do you agree with him? Well, I'm not in a position to question Darren. Um, I haven't actually read his column yet, Mike. With regards to Southgate, I mean, I, he's, a, he's a force for good, no, no doubt about it. But I just wonder whether in terms of proper structural change, whether that's really as influential as we need it to be. Because Gareth Southgate is obviously on record as, you know, also saying he doesn't really like football. I mean, he doesn't really like what football has come to represent and the business of it. And that makes him a bit of an outlier. I suppose the people that need to people that need to be convinced about uh, football's need for evolution are the stakeholders in the game, the people that actually control the structures, the infrastructure, the apparatus around which the game is twined. And Southgate isn't really that person. He, he's, he's someone that can that can give players a great platform. He's, he's a statesman of the game in a lot of ways. He can he talks out, he talks eloquently on you know, myriad issues, you know, political, racial, he's, um, you know, he's amble in a lot of ways. I fear that the conversation needs to happen several levels above him, though. That's just my instinct, Mike. Mm, but what, is, what has struck, struck me over the last few days, well, last 10 days, really, is the way that the, the players have taken the lead and the young players, socially conscious, socially aware. You know, you've been in a lot of dressing rooms, Aid. Is that a colourblind world? Is it a colourblind world? Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I never, I never encountered racism as a player. I don't, I don't believe that I did. I never, I never, uh, certainly not among among players. You don't, you just don't even, you just don't even consider it. It's not something that's part of your your consciousness. But I think we've probably all been guilty of. Of of not taking enough notice of it, not not being, and I like this term that that, that has come up in recent days, not being anti-racist, not being, not vocalising how important it is to be anti-racist, and I, I think that, that 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 every white footballer can can play their part there too. What I will say about the the current generation, which just pleases me so so much, is that they're no longer afraid. To speak their mind and to tell the truths, and they're just they're just so impressive, so influential. They know that they've got a platform with social media, with Twitter, Instagram, and all the millions of people that look up to them as role models. And and I'm talking about Rashford and Sterling and Sancho, these guys, and and to hear them so eloquently put their views across, really strong views, honest views, but correct views. Is 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 a game changer in my opinion. That the voice of this this generation is finally being heard, and I, and that's powerful. And I do, I do believe that that the powers that be will have to take notice. They they will they will have to, even if there is a a reluctance, an unconscious reluctance, or otherwise. I don't know, but they have to take action. But yeah, we need to see more inclusivity at, at high levels of the game. No doubt about that. Executive level coaching i mean it's crazy isn't it when you consider i think around a third of the players in english football are bame background and in terms of the coaches three four percent five percent tops i mean that is that is shameful really so so that i think is somewhere where we can immediately i hope see some change so sorry mike can i just on your question there to, to adrian yeah. unlike him i've never been in a, in a dressing room but i don't think that i don't think colorblind i don't think black players want 
things to be colorblind. I think black players want people to recognize that they're black. I hear this term from a lot of white people that, well, I don't see color. Well, no, no, we, we want you to see color because that's who we are. So I don't think we want a situation in football where black players, their color's not being seen. They just don't want to be judged by, by the color of their skin. And on Gareth Southgate, Although he's had he's been lauded and correctly in the last couple of years for how eloquently he's spoken about a variety of issues in and out of the game. I think that was two years ago now. I mean, the World Cup, he was brilliant for allowing the players to be themselves and express themselves as young, as young, diverse team as they are. But I think now we have to remember that he's in a position of power. He's not the physio. He's not the fourth coach. He's the England manager. And to Adrian's point about, you know, talking up, I really think now we need to expect a little bit more from Gareth Southgate to speak to the people above him, to actually ask them, what are you doing to ensure that we're not just giving our guys a voice, we're making change? Yeah, I don't know what how much say he had, Mike, in, in terms of bringing in coaches into, into each of the age group categories but but that is that is something I think that is a definite positive I spoke to Chris Powell at length while he was he was involved with the with the national team and he was absolutely loving it and yeah the, I, I think they were he had a genuine role to play within it and I think that's been filtered down into the, into the age group so that in fairness to Southgate and the FA in that respect they they have changed things up a little bit we obviously want more. Yeah, I, you know, I think to your your point, Jordan. If you if you look at the you know the broader issue, let's look even look beyond football. Um, George DeBell, who's you know, one of my favourite cricket writers, um, said today that he could find only one UK-born, state-educated black man playing first-class cricket by the end of last season. The Telegraph this morning have looked at board representation over, I think it was thirteen different bodies. Only three black or minority ethnic individuals within, I think, 139 places. So it is a broad problem, which I think we probably all agree in. I thought that, you know, Chris Hewton, did he, you know, he came up with the the, the, the line that, look, this is time to be actively anti-racist. Could someone like him be a pivotal figure in, in any review of the game that, that we feel should happen? Uh, yes, I think he could, Mike. I, I think Chris Hewton is someone that speaks a lot of sense. I think he understands. I've met Chris Hewton on, on several occasions. He understands the problem and he understands what needs to be done in, in solving the problem. My only issue with putting him in a position of, of, of admin is that, for me, you take away a good football manager. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So Very good, yeah. You know, so, and I, I don't want that to happen. I think that Chris Hewton's best skill set is running and managing football teams. I think there are some other fantastic candidates that I've spoken to and and, 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 and watched in interviews on TV. I'm a massive fan of Leon Rossinia. Uh, Jason Lee works within the FA. Chris Powell's mentioned earlier on. Les Ferdinand's got obviously a role at, at QPR. Jason Roberts, he had to leave this country to get a position of seniority within the organisation and Michael Johnson as well. So there's some people, some of whom are out of work, who I think would be fantastic candidates to be in a leadership role that actually addresses actionable change that I think we need to start seeing. Because that actionable change, you know, I, I'm speaking to someone who I'm old enough to have been, and I, I covered a, a rebel cricket tour of South Africa and then subsequently covered Mandela's release. Uh, I've been back to the country I saw the iniquities of apartheid firsthand and I've seen how 
that nation on a much broader issue than what we're talking about at the moment dealt with historic injustices through their Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Now, I'm not saying we have something like that in football, but are we at a point, Seb, where there needs to be unequivocal admissions made by people in power? Now, I'm talking about the FA, the Premier League, the PFA. People have to unite around this issue. Well, yes, Mike. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm conflicted about what the the method is by which that happens because if you create a sort of a, a commission that sort of dictates the way forward, then you're you're kind of you're skipping a step where you think real change needs to happen in these boards. So the graphic that you referenced earlier, the statistic about the number of BME representatives on boards, that's really what needs to change. You have your own separate body which sits and and says, right, well, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that. That's very important as part of the process. But it kind of, it's a almost a superficial adjustment, isn't it? So we, we spoke right at the beginning about Gareth Southgate. To me, and I, I might very well be wrong about this, but to me, what seems to matter is who is Gareth Southgate talking to within the FA when he is raising points? Who is he? Because the, that, that's where the problem occurs. I mean, if you, if, you want to, if you want to create initiatives which enable people to progress in their careers, if you want to eliminate whatever blockages they're encountering, then you need to target the real pockets of authority. And I think that's where the focus needs to be. Whatever happens up until that point, fair enough. But it's it's kind of, it can't be an either or situation. It needs to be a both. Does that make sense, Mike? I mean, or have I just rambled through that? I, it just, it's instinctively, <laughs> instinctively, I mean, it just feels like, um, so Jordan talked earlier, you know, about sort of appetites for change. And I see, I look around football, I, just before we start, I read, um, read Carl Anker's piece on The Athletic and he started by by referencing all the social media posts that have, that have happened and all the kind of, you know, the a lot of Premier League clubs have made it very clear that they support, you know, Black Lives Matters movement and they, you know, won't tolerate racial discrimination. That's great and that's exactly right. But at the moment, it's quite easy for them to do that. So what needs to happen is hard decisions so for that for for these clubs not just um sharing pictures of players taking knee which is worthy and great but they need you know next time one of their their players racially abuses an opponent he needs to get sacked Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. in relation to the fa or any 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 sort of organization or any any initiative which sponsors evolution it needs to have a long-term change it can't just be an ad hoc body which makes recommendations in my opinion yeah because yeah i'll i'll give you one thing that could be done overnight, because the money exists, and I, I look at the work done by Kick It Out. Now, there's an organisation which I've worked with myself over the last couple of years. You, I know you've um, been on panels with him recently, Jordan. He looks tired. He probably admits to being tired. That's an organisation with only 17 employees. Its budget is around about a million pounds, which is loose change in modern football. Yet it, it needs greater support both almost morally and financially. And it's a role that's worn good people down. You know, Herman Oosley, who's a man I've got huge respect for and a man I've said in the past should have been the FA chairman, he, he was so worn down that he's been almost driven away from the game. Now, in practical terms, why don't the Premier League, they could say this tomorrow, Right, we are going to increase Kick It Out's budget from one million a year to five million a year, and they will not notice the difference. Why can't we have that type of practical intervention as soon as possible? 
because the FA doesn't have people involved in its, in its highest positions who understand why that's important. They just don't have people on their boards or enough people on their boards who understand why that's important. For that, what you just laid out there, Mike, makes massive sense to me and to all of us because we understand the impact that will have. The FA don't have that. And this goes back to my point about Gareth Southgate. I appreciate he's the football manager there, but he's kind of put himself in a position where he's now a little bit more than that now. He seems to be the kind of voice of consciousness within the FA. So that means that I think he needs to be applying pressure to make them understand what he understands. And that comes in the shape of you guys need to fund places like Kick It Out more because it's important for these reasons. And if the players that we're bringing through at grassroots, your Sancho's, your Rashford's, your Sterling's, if we if they don't feel supported, the knock-on effect will be that there'll be no more of those, those, those players coming through. But worst case... Those players we've got will just walk away from the game as well. They won't want to play for England because they're not part of an organisation that understands the importance of supporting organisations like Kick It Out. So you need people on those boards to understand why it's important to increase it from a million to five million. Aid, what about the role of the PFA in this? Are they doing enough? Well, I don't think the PFA uh, are doing a very good job at anything at the moment, but that's a, that's a wider question. There's, there's an individual that stands out. I mean, I, I think most footballers, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, would like to see a change at the very top of the PFA with Gordon Taylor moving on. And I don't know, I see I see an individual in, in Marvin Sordell, actually, who, who is... Who's, Recently retired, very articulate, intelligent. He's got some powerful messages. Recently, he interviewed Prince William, which was absolutely fantastic. Wonderfully insightful chat. I, I think turning to somebody like him would would send out a tr- tremendous message moving forwards. You know, you got to remember that the, the membership of the PFA has, it's got it's got well at least a third of black members. Are they doing enough to protect them? No. Of course they're not, but, but it goes back to the point that Jordan's been making. We need, we need some BAME representatives in positions of power where they can, they can, you know, use their influence for good. And, and I think that somebody like him might be able to do a good job. Of course, in the past, Brendan, Bats, Brendan Batson has been a, a figurehead at the PFA, so it wouldn't be something entirely new to them. But, but yeah, I, th- I think they can do a lot, lot more, particularly in taking a stance when when players are racially abused. So I think the PFA's mantra is, is just always protect the player, even when they're accused of doing something bad, even if there is a victim there. I think Seb made the great point, and it's something we talked about in a, in a previous pod, you've got to be ruthless and you've got to be seen to take decisive action, even if it hurts you as a football team, as a football club. If one of your players is guilty of, 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 you know, racist language, racist abuse, you have to sacrifice, you have to get rid of that player and, and ostracise them and send out a very strong message. And the PFA, if that happens, has to back it and not, and, and not try and fight their cause. You know, you know what's really interesting is one of the messages football seems to communicate is, okay, so if, if, if a player is racially abused and uh, another player is found guilty of doing that, it seems always in the past that the first question that the football club asks itself following that incident is, well, how good is the player? You know, how valuable <laughs> yeah. is he? Instead of like, which, and I think that's kind of 
whether it's intended or not, the damage of that must be enormous because that's its priority. But, but, but in, the... in fairness, that is that is a generalism anyway. I mean, if a, absolutely any but... kind of crime, any kind of crime that the, the, the player might commit in their personal life will be will ultimately be forgiven if they're really good. I absolutely, and I mean, they have value. Like uh, domestic abuse is the same. Domestic violence is exactly the same. But I mean, you know, all of this needs to change. But this is a prevalent issue, and this this is something that repeats you know far too often and so you know the need to actually you know not not just take that photograph not just you know do the you know ask your player to take a knee before training good as that is there needs to be a, a situation where there's some sort of sacrifice and where a club actually lands on the right thing to do regardless of whether it it damages its short-term ambitions or not can I just ask you, Jordan, what, what if you cast your mind back to the was it the Haringey Borough versus Yeovil oh, yeah. game where 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 the players walked off the pitch? Would you have liked to have seen stronger sanctions against Yeovil, the team there, based on what what happened with their fans? Like that was an opportunity maybe maybe missed, I, right? I, I think it was. I think it was. I think we now have to get really hard. Racism is one of the biggest evils in the world, in society. And I think if you're going to attack one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest evils out there, I think you have to come with really harsh punishments and set out a message. Football's problem is that it's it's a place that that almost harbours and almost encourages people to be racist. You can't go to Wimbledon or to the Ashes or to an F1 race and racially abuse someone across 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 from you you can't do that because it, it it's, it's an environment where you know when you step into that arena you can't say certain things now you can't tell me there's no racist f1 fans there's no racist cricket fans of course there are but they know when they step into that environment they can't get away with it football needs to send out a message by pushing by by enforcing harsh the harshest punishments to, to let people know you can say what you want at home we can't control that when you step into this arena you are not going to get away with saying what saying what you think you can say so yeah i, I would i definitely would have gone harder with the sanctions there to send out a message yeah because you know if you look at you know, one of the questions which which bounce off this debate is, you know, where are the new coaching role models now? Southgate named the England under sixteen coach Justin Cochran. You know, whenever I've worked with Kevin Betsy, I've been really impressed by him. The person I want to highlight, and maybe I'll, I'll throw this one to you, Jordan, Paul Furlong at QPR. I think QPR as a club is enlightened. What struck me that he took his under eighteens off the pitch in a game against, I think it was Seville, because of racial abuse. Should more coaches be following that particular example? Yes, they should. I've been, Mike, of the mindset for about five years now that if you hear something on the pitch that's that's, that's racist, you walk off. I don't. I personally wouldn't even wait for the coach to tell me or to, we're, we're, we're leaving the pitch. I would just walk. But yeah, I think it's incumbent on the managers now. The minute they hear something racist or they're told by a player they've heard something racist, we're coming off. That is the only way, one of two ways, I think, that football and the authorities will take notice. If there's no football games that hurts authorities and I would dare any court in the land to side on a legal case with any authorities or governing bodies to take who, who are taken on by clubs or players regarding their actions for that because I just can't see I can't see it happening I think if all the players come off if the players take their players off 
we're making a stand. This has got to stop. And I think the talking, the hashtagging, the kneeling, I don't care for that. As Seb said, that's all, that for me is very PR. It's very nice. Let's, let's see some action now. And I, I would endorse managers saying, no, we're coming off. Not on the third call, on the first call, we're coming off. Yeah. As a player, Aid, would you have walked off in sympathy with a black teammate? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I don't think that you would, you would find any, anyone. Well, look, I can't speak for everybody. I can't. And, and, and look, it wasn't something when I played, it's long, I'm long since retired. Um, but, but, and it was a different environment and, and, and a different, a different time. But no, I, I think that, that players would. And, and I also think it's really important that a white coach, a white manager would be equally strong as, as anybody else. So I, I think that it would, it would be a much more powerful message and, you know, a white captain, a Jordan Henderson, who's been very, very vocal. And, and I think he, he's turning into a, a real natural leader, Jordan Henderson. I can imagine that if, if he was involved in the game, he would be the first one to sort of say, come on, we're going off. We're not having this. And, and I think that that, that that message would would be huge. And I think that's all it, all it might take, you know, for the dam to, to break. A big, high-profile high team in a match that really matters to be prepared to walk for the sake of their teammates and, and, and for, you know, to, to, to speak out about what's going on here, to actually take action. So, so I don't think that moment is, is far away. You know, we don't, we, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see racist abuse in games, but, but, but when crowds come back in, I think we, we, we all expect it to happen at some point. When it does, let, let's hope. The players are strong. I agree. I think where I think the next incident where somebody's racially abusing the game, I'm confident now that a player will walk off the pitch. I think in the Premier League or in a high, another high-profile league, I think it's going to happen. My concern now is while Adrian mentions the fact that there's no fans in stadiums at the moment or won't be when the season resumes, I think there's going to be a massive spike and increase in racist abuse online. I think we're going to see a huge increase of, of racism on, on online because that's going to be the place where there's people that would do it in the stadiums. Yeah. They're yeah. definitely going to do it now because you, yeah. you can't see them. So yeah. that's my concern now. I think the next six six to eight weeks are going to be very, very horrible on Twitter and on, on social media platforms once football returns. Mm. Should clubs be more proactive in that area then? You know, they, the clubs, it seems to me, do tolerate minorities of supporters who are who are you know basically they either peddle conspiracy theories online or you know there is this horrible tribal abuse towards people should clubs now come out and say enough's enough and maybe even withdraw themselves from the medium i think well without question mike i, I think we're um you know we're starting to see a little bit of that as an extension of some of the photos that have been shared there's been this kind of I mean, it's quite hard to describe because it's very difficult to understand. But when clubs share those sort of photographs and those initiatives, there's always a group of people that, you know, affect great offence at it. You know, they, they they come back with some sort of juvenile response, or some infantile reaction. And, and the clubs are sl- starting to get slightly better at, at cracking back against them and saying, well, we don't want your support. Whether that's truly meaningful, I don't know. I kind of, kind of tend to agree with Jordan. I think it has to go a lot further than that. But Mike, if I could, can I just share an anecdote? Because something Jordan said earlier, he was talking about kind of the environment and what's tolerated in the environment. It struck with me because I, it seems like a very, very long time ago now. 
I was in the press box at New White Hot Lane. I think it was Tottenham against Brighton just after Christmas. I might be wrong about that. It seems like a you know different a different season now after all. <laughs> well, it's a different era, wasn't it? Yeah, it does, does. It really does feel like that. And so that press box is just in front of a kind of a corporate area, and there was a supporter behind us, behind the press box, who every time a black player touched the ball or made a pass, made a tackle, shouted out, "Well done, Danny." He was referring to Danny Ray as the implication, of course, being that all black players look the same. And he went on. It went on for about 10 or 15 minutes. Initially, I think a lot of people just thought, you know, is there something like, is there a, a mental issue going on? And then it became very, very clear that, um, that no, there wasn't. And this was just kind of, you know, a malignancy within the crowd. Simon Felstein, the Spurs press officer, you know, obviously went to talk to a steward and had the supporter re- removed. And that's great. Well done, Simon. Nick Miller, the great writer, also covered it in one of his columns shortly afterwards. I sat next to Nick that day. What, what stuck with me was that why would you go into a football stadium and think that's okay? Like, why would you feel like in a, in a crowd of what it what is that stadium hold now? 62,000 people. Like, why would you think, you know, I can do that and I can have a little bit of a chuckle about it? And it's kind of okay. It's that if you, if you, I know, I know it's a little bit of a rabbit hole, but if you dive into that, then that, describes something really badly wrong. And do you know why, the re- to answer the question, the reason why people feel they can do that is because on that example, the wider world doesn't see that as racist. It takes a bit of unpicking to understand that what he's doing is racist. It's very easy to kind of shout the N-word, to do monkey chants. We understand that's obviously racist. Whereas calling any black person Danny, to the person sitting next to him or in front of that, that supporter, they don't understand straight away why that's racist. It needs a bit of unpicking. So it's a very, very clever and sly way of being racist without being overtly racist. But that makes it, I mean, that makes it quite scary because that means that that person, and we didn't get a good sight of him because obviously there's a sort of a lip behind the press box. You can't quite see, you know, faces and everything. But that person's kind of thought about it a little bit. He's thought he's being quite clever. He's thought this is kind of, this is sort of uh, clandestine covert racism. You know, you could hear him slightly chuckling afterwards. And I mean, I, any members of the press there that day will remember this because it was loud and it was very difficult, even in a, even in a football stadium, to not hear that. And... It was just bizarre. And I don't think I'll ever forget that because it's kind of like, you know, in the first instance, you think, oh, well, you know, maybe he's just a long way away from the other side of the pitch. Maybe he's made a mistake. And then within, you know, a minute or two, you realise, no, this is this is this guy's little project for the day. It was it was one of the worst things I've heard in the stadium. That's disgusting. Yeah. Just taking it back, if I may, to, to players walking off the pitch. We've seen videos emerge from earlier on in the season from from matches overseas, haven't we? Of, of black players trying to walk off the pitch and being, being prevented. Held, held back <laughs> by their own teammates. Now, I thought they were really powerful clips. It, and, and, and personally, my timeline might be different to, to, to other people's. There was overwhelming condemnation for, of the players who were trying to, to hold the guy back and basically leave, leave them on their own, which I thought was, was disgraceful, really. I'm just hoping that those those awful examples will will ensure that that doesn't happen here. I, I don't know how confident we are that 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 won't that that won't happen, but I I can't see it. I can't see players in this. I can't see players leaving a teammate on their own like we've seen on some of those videos. When with the the instance that the agent's referring to, it reminds me of Samuel Eto getting racially abused at Zaragoza, and that day, like you can still. I mean, I, I don't recommend watching it because it's pretty pretty harrowing to see, but. You can see, and this would have been, I think, 2004, 
So, you know, it's nearly 20 years ago now. And you can see the same thing. You can see people trying to prevent Eto from leaving the pitch. And so when this happened, you think, God, nothing's really changed, has it? Like you still have this. You still have like either a situation where people don't really understand the protocol or they don't understand the offense that is being given and caused. So it's really dispiriting to see that lack of progress between those two points, even though, you know, the world has changed in all sorts of other ways. The world has changed very dramatically in that period. But that's where football footballers can influence society, I think, by, by being so united and strong on it. Two quick things. The two other groups, we've spoken about the weak governance of, of addressing this problem. We've also spoken about what players can do and what we think they will do when this happens again. The two other areas, I think, that have a responsibility in this fight for me are, first of all, the fans. I think at some point the fans have to make a decision. It's all well and good us saying, you know, racism isn't good, enough is enough, all this stuff. What are the lengths at which we as football fans prepared to go to to really back up our chat? Are we as a fan base prepared to say, if you guys, UEFA, FIFA, FA, the Premier League, the governors of the game, do not take this problem more seriously, we will boycott games. We will boycott games because all well and good fans I speak to saying, yeah, it's disgusting and we hate it and racism is an evil. But how far are they prepared to go to really back up those words? And the second area, I think, is the media. I think it's us. I think the representation of of black people in the media is disgusting. The, the sports media is supposed to reflect the sport that it that it writes and and and, and talks about. And if I look at my if I look across my newsroom at Channel Four News, representation has got much better. But it's still shocking. Talk sports is embarrassing. One black presenter, one black producer, and no black reporters. And even on BT Sport, I'm going to mention BT Sport because as far as I'm aware, there are no black presenters on BT Sport's whole output. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. How many reporters, how many producers, people behind the scenes who are black that can actually reflect the editorial narratives of what's happening and how black players are feeling? BT Sport need to have a lot to answer to because they attend all the BCOMS meetings that I'm sure you've been to. BCOMS an organisation, for those who don't know, an organisation to try and diversify sports media. And they come with the platitudes and the words and we get diversity and rare, 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 but nothing changes. So I think until people like BT Sport and other broadcasters start reflecting and looking at how they can diversify and backing up their statements and hashtags, I'm sorry, but it's very difficult for broadcasters to start really pointing fingers at the governance of the game as well. Well, you know... Yeah, I, I I look at my industry and you know, as as a I suppose now as someone who's been been through several eras of that industry, you know there isn't sufficient representation. I would put my hands up at that, and I've always believed, or I, probably naively at the start of my career, that you know here am I, working class kid, council house background, free school meals, got into a grammar school by by luck. More than judgment, I ended up you know, doing doing what I do. Now, I I always felt that my trade was a meritocracy. Now, this is probably where attitudes are changing almost as we speak, because you know I was aware that there there were there were not many black faces in in press boxes. You know, I've talked at length with friends like Darren uh, about that. You know, we were actually talking in a moment that there are a couple of young lads that I want to men- help mentor. That's the way we're going to progress. You know, I'll let BT Sport speak for themselves in that. You know, you've got obviously you know, Rio Ferdinand, Jermaine Genus, who are obviously working within within the industry. Is representation good enough? No, I think everyone's probably agreed with that. 
do we have to start almost by using positive power? So, and I think, you know, I'll go back to players again. I look at what's happening in the States at the moment, where you have the NFL, which is a reactionary body, you know, coming out in favour of Black Lives Matter. But that was only after a hugely powerful video by their leading players. So when I look at someone like Raheem Sterling, and this is probably to, to you, Jordan, do you think he is capable of having the sort of social influence that's more usually associated with North American athletes? I do. I do. I, I do think he can. I think he's been a, a, an amazing leader within within our sports, within our game of, of trying to force change. I think he speaks very, very well. I think what the lessons that he can learn from a lot of the American athletes is he, he may have to be prepared to, what I say, lose to win. So he may have to have experience short-term pain in forms of criticism for some people. He may lose certain endorsement deals. He may have to endure certain fines. He may have to really put his neck on the block if he really wants to put himself out there as the person that is going to stand up for what is correct and what is right. Now, I don't know Raheem Sterling. He may not want to go to those lengths. I don't think it's something we should be forcing upon him. But again, a bit like Southgate, he's kind of put himself in a position where that's now alongside being a world-class player, what we think of him as. And I think he believes in it. The question is, the difference I think between him and the, the American athletes is they seem to be saying unashamedly and nakedly, we are going to use our platform to say what we want, when we want, how we want, regardless of the blowback. Is he prepared to, to endure the possible blowback that could come by pushing activism to the next level? But isn't there an awareness, you know, I throw this to you, Seb, that someone like Marcus Rashford, we've spoken about it on this podcast before, but his social programme, you know, 2.8 million kids a week are being fed because of that. That gives him a far bigger and greater platform than his football, however good he is for Manchester United. Yeah, without question, Mike, I'm a little, I'm a little torn with this as well because I have all the admiration in the world for what Marcus Rashford has been doing, but when I see what the work he's done, I can't help but think, why is it being left up to him to do that? I find that quite troubling in that sort of children that live in, in such poverty that they can't afford to eat or can't be guaranteed of, you know, regular meals, that they have to rely on the benevolence and, and you know, the gestures of a Premier League footballer. That is a, I mean, in, in itself, if you, if, you, if you dwell on that, that's an extraordinary situation for this country to be in. Mark Ratchford, goodness me, I mean, um, what, a, what, a, what an example that is and what a, what a role model he's become. Terrific. But it's kind of, these are quite simple issues which shouldn't necessarily exist in this country. And yet still, it's, it's someone like him who, you know, is a professional athlete. He's a young guy. I mean, it, it's, it's a strange cross for him to have to bear at this point in his life. And I can't, I can't really escape that. It's just a, it's, it's a, a very, a very damning indictment of what's been going on in this country. Yeah. I think he's just a conscientious person. Yeah, I mean, very, very clear. Yeah. Yes, and, yes. and 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 yeah, he's yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I can't speak highly enough of of what he's doing at the moment. The way he speaks, he's, he's a great ambassador. I think we should be really proud of some of these guys. They're they're, they're doing some some great things, and they're also young still. You know, they're in their in their early 20s, mid-20s, and they are using their positions to, to yeah, for good. And, and that's not always been the case with footballers. You know, footballers have, have sort of just lived in their own 
their own world, haven't they? Quite selfish existences, living living in excess. And 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 this generation are they seem to be different. And I have to say, when I go to academies and and, and I've been to, to the Arsenal one a few times, and and the way that these these kids are educated, and the way the messages that the coaches are are putting forward to the players, that the messages are be. It's all about being a better human being, being more tolerant of others, being, being hum- you know, showing humility. I do think that behind the scenes, the stuff that we don't see, there's a lot of good work. And I, I think that football is developing better people and they're educating the players in the right way, in a way that never happened when I was a footballer. You just turned up, played your football and went home. But, but it is different now. And I think we're... We're sort of reaping the benefits of, of that ed- that education with some really rounded young men using their positions fam- fabulously well. Yeah, well, I, you know, I would think of someone like Rian Brewster in, in in that area because if you look at him, you know, I can I can remember Jurgen Klopp talking about his words. I think it was at the FWA dinner where he was he was a, a player abused at under-17 level, and he set the tone by speaking of racism as, a, as an everyday experience. There was a quote that he came out with this week, Jordan, which really resonated with me, and I'm sure it did with you, where he talked about, and I think the direct quote is, a level playing field is what we've been crying for forever. Is that the phrase or the, the sentence that should frame this entire debate? 100%. And it, it was a very powerful quote. That, in, in essence, is all black people within the industry, within the sport, within society are asking for. They're not asking for an advantage. They're not asking for extra help. They just want to know. I mean, I want to live in a world where I get turned down for a job because I'm just not good enough. It's like, Jordan, you're rubbish. You can't write, you can't broadcast, you're just not good. There's better out there. Sorry, mate, you know, keep it moving. Rather than, nah, your hair's not quite the right type or your skin tone's a bit... All these things are what black people, or your accent, all of these things are the things that black people in and out of football have to deal with. And just kind of widen it out just for a second into the wider protest. What I'm seeing from a lot of the people and the protests in regards to Black Lives Matter is it's almost beyond about black people. It's just about humanity. It's just young people now saying, I'm I'm seeing these protests. Of course we want racism gone. It's disgusting. We've seen how that manifests itself in killing of black people all over the world. But essentially, as young people, we just want to live in a world where everybody has an equal chance. We want we just want equality for everyone. Black people, gay people, disabled people, women. We just want equality. And I think at the core, that is what Rian Brewster is talking about. We just want an equal chance to get jobs, to get to get signed, you know, to to get to get management jobs. And Raheem Sterling alluded to it in his interview on the BBC this week as well, where he mentioned the fact that Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard have walked, well, they walked into, but they've been their first three clubs, Derby, Rangers and Chelsea. And then you look at Ashley Cole and Sol Campbell. Is that, is that a coincidence that one, two people have had to go to the, the lower ends of football and the other two have, have been given, you know, two huge clubs? That's not a coincidence. There's not a level playing field. And that is all people are asking for. Judge people on their on their merits and their hard work and their talent and their experience and not side-passing people because of the colour of their skin. 
Yeah, I think I think Raheem said that not as any personal criticism of of, of Lampard or Gerrard. I no, think it was a, no, you know, no, an observation of the yeah. of the system. Which I, I, I think we, I think yeah, I think I think with Sol the big the, the the big the most criminal thing with Sol Campbell is that it's not that he he started at, at Macclesfield because he was out of the game for quite a long time. Now he might maybe I think that he was trying to get back in, trying to get coaching jobs. And was struggling, but he did also take himself away. He went into politics, didn't he? It, it, he came back to football, and he proved himself. He, he he pulled off a miracle with Macclesfield Town. He proved that he could be an inspirational leader in the most sort of you know difficult conditions on and off the pitch. What should have happened then, after that experience, was that then he was earmarked for bigger clubs, better jobs, and. And and he wasn't, and that I think was was outrageous. With Ashley Cole, he's starting out, isn't he? He's only recently retired. He's gone down into the academy at, at Chelsea, like Gerard did. And look, if he's if if Ashley is is a, is a proves himself to be a really good coach, then then I do hope that he gets those chances. But but the point the point that he made was was certainly a valid one. Mm. So I suppose what what we're getting around to here, Seb, is you know, is what I. Th- started by asking Jordan in practical terms what can happen if you look at the NFL again the Rooney rule is is struggling really it was it was introduced to had some initial success regardless of that should we demand some form of immediate introduction of something similar in the game that if there is any any process, any formal recruitment process, which, as we know in football, doesn't always happen, but if there is one, these sort of rules, the inclusivity, should be adhered to. I mean, it, it pains me to say this because it's all me. It, it admits kind of, you know, such a, you know, again, malignancy in football. But I don't see any other way. What I will say, Mike, is that I don't. I don't want to be personally. I don't want to be in a position where I'm demanding anything. I think this is a point in which we, there has to be a lot more listening. You know, as with the kind of the what we what we opened with, with the idea that you need to put people in power that understand these issues properly, and that generally means people who always means actually people who have experienced these issues. And I think stage one, I don't think we're at, we're at a point where we can actually institute corrections. I think stage one is hearing what has happened to some people and and how some of these coaching careers have been compromised. Because I, I speak just for myself here, but. I still don't feel like I properly understand it. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the the disproportionate numbers. And I'm aware of the lack of opportunity, but I still don't quite understand why that is. And that's probably a failing on my part, but it's like, right, so for someone like Ashley Cole or Sol Campbell, I want to know a little bit more about what's happening in these interviews because it's only really then that you can start to, or why they're not getting the interview in the first place, which seems to be the, the, the bigger issue. And when that happens, when we've heard a little bit more about the faults in these systems, then maybe there can be some kind of correction to that. And I, I don't know where that correction comes from. It shouldn't, like, I, <laughs> I'm a privately educated white man. Like, I'm not the person that should be initiating change in this game. Because also, let me say, like, I, I was listening to what you said, Mike, earlier about where you come from. Now, I come from a different place, but I come from a private school where there was more diversity than there is in the press room. Now, there are lots of theories behind that, and there's lots of reasons for that, but that's quite damning, isn't it? Also, while I've got the microphone and you guys can't stop me from, from, from talking, um, because, I, because I'm not in a really position to express, I, I don't have any sort of personal experience of this. Can I um, take the unusual step of plugging another podcast on our podcast? Because it's um, a stadio podcast and it's um, run by two friends of mine, one a very old friend of mine, Musa Okonga, 
Oh, I yeah, know Musa really well. Yeah, yeah. and um, Musa is a far better eye than I am, but has had far fewer opportunities in this industry. And in the first 25 minutes of one of his recent podcasts, which I'll share on my Twitter feed if people want to find it, he talks about that experience. Now, this is really what I mean in the sense of let's listen to some of this stuff first before we kind of decide, right, well, we need a commission over here and we need a commission there because I, I shouldn't be the voice in that conversation. It should be other people, people who have experience with this. And, and I, 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 maybe I haven't articulated that as well as I might have liked to, but I, I think that's kind of, that's a penny that still has to drop because I still feel, I still hear a lot of white people telling everybody else what should happen next, which is, is uh, irony doesn't cover it, but it's, it's just wrong. So, sorry, Mike, just to your question, there actually is a Rooney rule in this country of some form already. It's called the Mandatory Code, and it actually applies to the 71 Football League clubs. The problem is there's a loophole in it that enables chairman and owners to get around it. So it says that once you have, have an open process of recruitment, you have to have at least one black person. The way that chairmen are getting around it is, as we all know, they, they know they're sacking their manager a week, a month in advance. They're waiting for that... That, that defeat that triggers, that pulls the trigger, if you like, they then get teeing up their friends before they've sat the current manager. That guy's in place three or four days later, they've broken no rules. So we actually already have a form of the Rooney rule in place. It's, it's, it's just that there's a loophole that enables all the chairmen currently to, to, to kind of get around it and it doesn't apply to the 20 Premier League clubs either. So um, is there any point yeah. to it? That's what I'm No, there isn't. <laughs> there isn't. <laughs> if you're going to enforce it, I think it, I tend to agree with Seb. I think we're at the point now where you have to now, you have to force the needle now because it, nothing else is working. I've never really been been for the Rooney rule. I've not I've not been a fan of it up until the last six months or so. But I think now we're at the point now where we're losing a lot of good black coaches that have should have a chance to manage clubs. Now you may get some average black managers that get through the get through the door just because they're black. Okay. But I can name you 10, 20, 30 white managers right now in jobs that shouldn't have jobs. So there's plenty of average white managers that get through the door as it currently stands. So I think we have to now have a have a system that does force the technicalities of getting black managers at the bare minimum in front of, of, of club owners and chairmen. Well, let's try and sort of pull all this together if we could. I just want to ask you the same question, all three of you. If there's one thing that you would like to see happen to actually generate meaningful change, what would that thing be? I'll start with you, Seb. Oh wow! Okay, um, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> it's called a, that's called a hospital pass. Yeah, that sure is. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I'm the least articulate member of this podcast, so you just you throw me right under the bus there. I think. Um, I, I, oh goodness. Um, I think. Um, I, I think. I, I think the, the chairman of, of the football association has to be from a minority background, because I think that's the kind of. It, it, it solves a lot of issues. Firstly, as we've discussed many times already, you have a proper level of representation at the highest level of the game. That in itself isn't a silver bullet. Let's not pretend otherwise. But I think that begins the process of ensuring that there is, hopefully, greater representation in the different kind of tranches of power that exist within the game. Because there are a lot of things we haven't covered in this podcast that were actually on your rundown, Mike. Things like... Um, you know, why, why is Uri Rennie still the only black referee in the game uh, to have refereed a Premier League game? Mm. That's uh, an incredible statistic. And, um, you know, people should read uh, Daniel Story's column for the eye paper yesterday. Th that, that's the range of the issues because we're not really just talking about 
you know, there not being enough BAME coaches or or linesmen or referees. It's a general lack of representation, is it? There, there, there's not a sort of there's not one area to target. So I think you have to go to right to the top of that system, and that's where you. I'm not sure what I think of the Rooney Rule. I don't. I don't think I have a definitive opinion on it because I haven't experienced it and doesn't sort of affect my livelihood. But I think that's where you apply it somehow. So that would be my my clumsy answer to your your hospital <laughs> pass, Mr. Calvin. <laughs> follow that. Um, follow that aid. Well, yeah, it's, it is a big it's a big quote. on the refs. By the way, I think I think how many good black referees have have, have have fallen by the wayside. It's it's ridiculous, really. I think that the assessors should be assessed as well. The people that that are shaping the futures of of the refereeing profession. And and again, I think somebody. They should be listening to Uriah Rennie or getting other black referees onto onto the panel of the PGMO, you know, of the PGMOL and 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 hearing and and hearing from them. But in terms of what's the one thing I'd like to see, I think it's I, I agree with that. I think the position of of real power at the very top is it would be huge, a huge moment. I think I'll go back to the point that Jordan made earlier: Str- stronger punishments, the harshest punishments for. Even if it's unfair on players, on teams, if their supporters let them down and they are guilty of, of, of racist abuse, you you punish them severely. I would like to see that happen. And I'd like to see the reaction to that. And I, I think the reaction to that would be that clubs would, would, would change their outlooks. Jordan? Um, I think for me, I, I think as in most things, people generally only change their way of thinking or working when you hit them in the pockets. So I would like to see, and this is a complete fairyland that I mentioned earlier on, idea, but I would like to see fans refusing to spend money on on football. I would like to see fans boycotting games. I'd like to see fans boycotting buying shirts. I would like to see fans making... Because the, the, the power ultimately is with the fans. I know you need players to play a game of football, but if, a, a, a game without any, without any supporters, there's no industry then. The, the, the industry, I think, falls apart then from a media point of view as well as a business point of view. So I would like to see fans really grab this and decide that enough is enough. We're going to, unless you, the governors, are going to take this seriously, we are going to refuse to come to games. We're gonna, you're not going to get our money. You're not going to get our subscription on BT Sport or Sky Sports or whatever, however you, 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 know, you watch your football. Just a brief point on Seb's answer about leadership and positions of power and having more black people. While I do agree with that, I think we have to be very careful about aligning a black face with change without getting too political some of the most you know senior political figures currently and previously in our government have been black they're some of the most damaging people to our community and societies that i could name so i wouldn't necessarily just to say that we need a black figure heading up the fa or fifa or whatever and that means they're going to get it because some black people don't get it but i understand the point i think he's making and that i think it's important that more of us who do get it are in those positions where we can actually affect change yeah well I'm going to just concentrate on the individual, the power of the individual. We've talked about some you know, amazing players seizing the moment. We've talked about some equally incredible individuals who are still at the coalface. I'm thinking of Troy Townsend at Kick It Out, who, and I will reiterate, do need more support immediately. I think it's also about looking inside yourself. And, and I've, I've found this debate 
enlightening and energizing and i think we've all got to do our bit as and when we can now i'll be really interested to hear from you the listeners i want to hear your perspective on the problems that we've discussed so you know thanks to the panel as ever thanks jordan hopefully you'll be back soon anytime Uh, and thanks for you the listeners for joining us here on the football writers podcast Stay safe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.